Today is the Tirubhav of Sri Bhaktivinoda Thakur. And today also is the Tirubhav of Sri Garadhar Pandit. And it was Gaur and Garadhar that Bhaktivinoda Thakur so lovingly worshipped in Godrum Dweep within the Godamandala of Navadvip Dham. There in Godrum, Swananda Sukada Kunj, he had his place of bhajan, Thakur Bhaktivinoda, and beautiful deities of Gorgadadhar he established there. And the place of his worship house there is under the care of one of the branches of Godimat this time was from that place in Godrum on the rooftop that Bhaktivinoda Thakur envisioned the birthplace of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu in Sridham Mayapur in the days when he was seeking to, as did the Vrindavan Goswamis, excavate the places of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's pastimes. As the Goswamis, under the direct order of Sri Chaitanya Dev, rediscovered, and by the force of their preaching and their enthusiasm, their love, their pav, they attracted many wealthy Hindu monarchs to patronize Vrindavan and erect ghats and shrines and temples which served as landmarks for the common people and Kanishtadikari Vaishnavas as to the vision of the Goswamis, which involved identifying Krishna took his birth here at Gokul Mahavan. Krishna did this at Radhakund. Here is Radha Krishna. Of course, Mahaprabhu himself found Radhakund, Shamakund. But following that example, the Goswamis pointed out so many places. All these leelas are eternally going on in the Dhams, Vrindavan and Navadvip. Inside the lotus of Vrindavan in the Brajamandal, Navadvip Dham appears. Like a lotus within the lotus, eight petal lotus representing eight islands and the center, Antardvip, Mayapur, Ishodan. And all of the nine petals represent the different angas of bhakti, navalakshan bhakti, shravanam, kirtanam, smaranam, padasevanam, arjunam, dasyam, sakyam, atmani vedanam. Center is antardvip, representing atmani vedanam, there mayapur is found. So full surrender is represented there and all the petals around. So point is, of course, that navadvip dham while it is, in essence, Vrindavandam, and there's no difference between the two, it's very giving in its nature. The very nature of the place gives bhakti, like these limbs of Navalakshan bhakti, Navavida bhakti, enunciated by Prahlad in Srimad Bhagavatam. So as the Vrindavan Goswamis, under the direct order of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu established the places of Krishna's pastimes, Leela Stali of Lord Krishna and Vrindavan, and as I say, with great force of their devotion that became such that if you were a wealthy king, you were nobody if you didn't have a temple in Vrindavan, if you didn't have something with a plaque with your name on it that you donated for. At a certain point, the amount of money you have doesn't determine your wealth, but the valuable things that you buy with it, an artifact of art or culture, something like that. So this was the power of the Vrindavan Goswamis, six Goswamis preaching, which was the, really the force of their love for Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, that they could attract such attention to Krishna's pastimes. And as they say, on the strength of then the support from such monarchs and wealthy persons, establish something for the Kanishtadikaris and common people 
so that they could say, well, here is this place of Krishna's pastime. Here is another. So these physical facilities are largely for this purpose. Just like here at Audarya, we're living simply. We have just little yurts on the hillside for the monks, even a small room for our deity. And so we can live here and fully practice, absorb ourselves in thoughts of Krishna, Radha Krishna, Gauranga Mahaprabhu, Nityananda Prabhu, all day and night. But to the extent that we don't have greater physical facilities, then the common people will not be able to really appreciate what's going on here. So for their sake, this is why the Goswamis worship the deity. We may wonder why the Vrindavan Goswamis, who were such exalted devotees on the Ragmar, doing Nambhajan, were doing Archan. They all had deities. Archan is, for the most part, always tinged with reverence, reverential love. So it's not very prominent in the Ragmarg, whereas in Vaidhi Marg it's very prominent. Still, the mercy of the Vrindavan Goswamis was such that practically all of them established deities and the worship of those deities for the sake of others who were beginning to tread the path that they themselves chalked out to help them. So this deity worship is to help us. We receive the mantra. The mantra corresponds with the deity. And the deity worship is a window to the leela, a facsimile of the leela, a still picture of the motion picture of the leela of the Lord. And we gather before the deity at different times of the day and sing various songs appropriate to the times in the, which have corresponding leelas. And they should serve as, a, as I've said before, a window, a dhyan, an aid to internal visualization of the Lord's leela by cultivating that meditation on the still picture then eventually the motion picture, the Lord's Leela flowing in many directions and spontaneously on the waves of spiritual emotion appear in our hearts. The Goswami showed this. Rupa Goswami has explained in Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu that those on the path of Rag should not neglect the Angas of Vaidhi Bhakti, but they should select those that are appropriate to support the budding of their their rag, their sentiment, such as hearing, chanting, remembering, and so forth. And Adi, it means all of them, Shravanadi, all of these, except for those few that may be unfavorable, that aren't relative to Braj Bhakti, like worshipping Krishna in Dwarka or something like that, performing the nyas or branding the body with T-lock marks, this is not for Braj Bhakti. So a few things only. And of course, Archan and the example of the Goswamis is there. They established the deity worship. Not to teach people about Vaidhi Bhakti, but the deities of Radha Govinda, Radha Gopinath, Sisirada Maran Mohanji, Teen Thakur, Krishnas Kaviraj Goswami refers to them. Eta Teen Thakur, these three deities, after his Mangalacharan, Chaitanya Charitamrita, he mentions them in particular. Jayatam suruto pangor mamamandumate ergati matsavas papadam bojorada madanamohano. He says, I'm lame and ill advised. Lame and ill advised. What does it mean? Karman gyan. I'm lame and ill advised. You understand? <laughs> Jayatam suruto pangor mamamandumate ergati matsavas papadam I take shelter of you. Affected by these things, jnana and karma, I cannot have pure bhakti. Let me establish a relationship with you by your mercy. Proper conceptual orientation for shuddha bhakti. And following that, real engagement in devotional service. He says, Dibhyat brindaranya kalpadrumadha Simadratnagara Devo. Prestali Manus Marami. 
real engagement, to visualize the Leela of the Lord, the, the Yogupit, this is the beginning of real inner Gyan cultivation. From the Yogupit, then the Leela is going in different directions. So he says, Dipyat Brindaranya Kalpadrumadha Simadat Nagara Singhasamasto. Under the Kalpadruma, in Brindaranya, the forest of Brinda, there, seated on a jeweled throne, Ratna Singhasam, Silarada Govinda Deva, Prestali Bisevimanus Manami. Let me remember them. And real bhakti, real engagement, following proper conceptualization. Who am I? Who is Krishna? What is our relationship? All these things. From Sambandha to Abhidheya, and then Simanrasara Sarumbi, Vangsi, Patatatastita, Karshan, Venusanaya, Gopi, Gopinata, Sriyastana, the Prayojan. These verses represent, these deities represent, these Teen Thakur mentioned by Krishna Skaviros Goswami. These verses are given after his Mangalacharan. A footnote to that. They were established by the Goswamis. So they aren't establishing the Archan Marg of Vaidhi Bhakti to take us to Vaikuntha, but Archan in such a way as to help to take us to the Ragmarg to end there. Their engagement in that, that is Bhava Seva, Lila Seva, direct service. Service to the deity is a kind of a medium to direct service. The Lord in his Lila, ever flowing spontaneous Lila, agrees to stand still for a moment, an eternal moment, and be worshipped by us. And if that worship is not just mechanical, but with our whole heart. One of my disciples recently asked me if he could have the Govardhan Shila for worship in his home. Because he's heard that that worship is very simple. Simple, yes. The ingredients that were... And Raghunath Das was advised to worship the Govardhan Shila with by Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Mahaprabhu advised him, some Tulsi Manjari, some Ganga Jal, simple items. He didn't call for an elaborate puja like Shaligram. Very simple. But if we look carefully there, we see, oh, that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu asked Raghunath Das, if you want to worship this, Srila, yes, you can. You have to give your whole heart completely, completely that kind of worship, then this Govardhan will accept. He's a Ragmarg deity. Some foolish people criticized Raghunathas Goswami because he wasn't of the six Goswamis. He was the one who was not born in the Brahman family. So they think, oh, Mahaprabhu gave him the Govardhan stone instead of the Shaligram to worship because he wasn't a Brahman. He represents the prayojan of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's ideal his writings and so forth. So it's simple worship externally, but what's really being called for is the whole heart should be given there. And Govardhan, if you give, will reveal all of the pastimes. He stands towering over Vrindavan, he can see everything. He doesn't miss anything. So like a stone, the deity ever flowing, spontaneous Leela, he stands still for an eternal moment, frozen before us. He doesn't speak, doesn't move. Of course, he does speak and move, but we cannot see that at first. And it's said that if he did, then it would be a trouble for us. We're not ready for such full-time service. But we should practice that, try to cultivate that, try to stay fully engaged in Krishna's work. Forget your own work, your own interests. Do Krishna save only. Try to come to this this standard. And the Lord in his deity form will keep us busy all day and all night. So for us the deity worship is a medium to that direct service. And for the liberated devotees like the Goswamis, then they're doing Pava Seva, Lila Seva to the deity. Therefore Sanatan Prabhu could have the kind of conversation he did with Madan Mohanji. You want salt? 
I'm a poor man. Accept what I offer. Hanging him from a tree and worshipping him. So they did this for our sake. And such is the nature of these Goswamis. Very compassionate for the fallen conditioned souls. So, in the same way, Thakur Bhaktivinoda did this kind of work, this kind of seva to humanity, to the Vaishnava community. He served humanity at large, the Vaishnava community at large, and sought to establish, a, through his followers, a mission that would establish worldwide the glories of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And his work involved all of the kind of things that the six Goswamis of Vrindavan were doing. Therefore, he was called, by a popular writer of the time, the seventh Goswami. And it was, as I've said before, it was notable that he could capture the attention of a popular thinker and reformer and writer of the time. What was his name? Something like that. As I say, he was a popular writer, maybe writing for the Calcutta newspaper or something like that, and books also he wrote. So, of course, more valuable than a popular thinker's endorsement is the endorsement of the devotees of the Lord, an endorsement of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And we should, in one sense, think like this. We're not interested in pleasing anybody but Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, Nityananda Prabhu, their representative. This is how Bhaktivinoda Thakur thought. And when you actually feel like that and actually act like that, you'll become pleasing to the common people as well. And then you will also get their endorsement, which will be valuable for, for the preaching work. So Bhaktivinoda Thakur was such committed to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's teaching. He got endorsement from the popular thinkers of the time. And very appropriately, he was named Seventh Goswami because his work so much paralleled that of the Six Goswamis. So, as I've many times said, Bhaktisiddhanta Sarsati Thakur used to teach that we are members of the Bhaktivinoda Party Bar. The meaning is that in Bengal, the devotees of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu are said to all be connected with one of the eternal associates of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu that started a lineage like Radhar Pandit, Nityananda Prabhu and Janabama, Advaita Charja, the Goswamis of Vrindavan, they all started lineages. And so one is to be connected with Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and Guru Parapara is considered it must be connected with one of those lineages. And so when Bhaktivinoda Thakur, he told his disciples, whenever anyone asks, which Paribar are you a member of, this should be your reply, Bhaktivinoda Paribar. So he considered, that means to say, Bhaktivinoda Thakur as a direct, eternal associate of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. This is the implication. Appearing as a sadhaka, even as a worldly person and a sadhaka, to show us how to go through worldly life and come to bhakti and progress in bhakti. Although the life history of sort, in summary, I should say, of Bhaktivinoda Thakur, a fairly detailed summary, was written by him in a letter to Lit Prashad, maybe his youngest son, and it depicts him, the ordinary person would read it and think of him as an ordinary person who became a devotee, who became an advanced devotee, a siddha. But if we study that, we find so much teaching in there. We find a progression such that his life perfectly illustrated a progression through various religious conceptions. Coming to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, within Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's fold and progressing naturally up to the point of Bhavan, Prem Bhakti. And happening so naturally and so quickly, he went through the different stages and so forth. When he himself speaks in his writings of how these stages may take yugas to pass through, 
then what does it mean in one life so quickly he went through all of them? Not an ordinary person, but in the vision of Bhakti Sanatsasti Thakur and his followers, he was an eternal associate of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, appearing like the Vrindavan Goswamis did, all eternal associates of Krishna, for the purpose of renovating, reviving the significance of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's teachings, the pure teachings of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, and presenting them and not only reviving what they were, that may have been known here and there, be about, certainly to some extent, although there was considerable distortion at the time as well, but to not only revive and make known what the essence of the teaching was, but make a presentation of it in a relevant way. As I say, as the Goswamis were doing, see the patronage that they got of the wealthy and influential persons of the time. Therefore, Bhaktisiddhanta Sarsitaka used to say, who has life, he can preach. Yes, the Vrindavan Goswamis, they were doing the bhajan and uh, meditating on Astakali, Lismarn, and writing so many books of Krishna Leela and so forth. But the internal cultivation that they were involved in had an extraordinary external result as well. They got the patronage of the wealthy people and Gaudiya Vaishnavism was flourishing. Even the Muslim rulers of the time in Vrindavan were influenced by their devotion, their bhakti. And they themselves would commission artists to depict Krishna Leela. Even the Radha Govinda temple of Rupa Goswami is a blend of the architecture of the time of the, the Mughals and the Hindu architecture showing that his practice brought about such an essential kind of relevant presentation of the teachings of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu that even the Mughals were attractive. He showed up what I, I guess what I want to say in the language of Bhaktivinoda Sadagahi type of essential presentation that even people from other religious sects felt they could participate in and it was inclusive to some extent. So, many people may sit and do bhajan and so forth, and their followers may compare them to Rupasanathana and so forth, but are they having this kind of result? Gaudiya Vaishnavism was, at the time of Bhaktivinoda Thakur, hardly known in India, or to speak of throughout the world. India was under... British influence, and there was considerable reformation of Hinduism, such that it could appear relevant in light of the modern insights of the British and so forth, who were practically ruling the world at that time. Bhaktivinoda Thakur was the one person in the group of the think tank of Hindu educated reformers who, in the name of updating, making a relevant presentation of Hinduism in consideration of new information, let us say, brought from the Britishers and the Westerners about life, about history, about the world, about science, and so forth. He was the one reformer who, not only in attempting to reform or revitalize or draw out the essence of Hinduism and make a relevant presentation of it. This is what has to go on, of course, over history as time goes on. The relevance of the tradition has to be brought out. Not only in doing that did he not get washed ashore, so to speak, from the ocean of what is Hinduism, like many of these reformers became half-Christians or they erased the Brajalila from Hinduism because they couldn't figure out how to accommodate it in light of Victorian ethics of the Christians and so forth. This Brajalila looked very immoral and illicit. This also shows, I think, that really in Sanatana Dharma and Vaishnavism there was quite a balanced outlook about sexuality. Because it wasn't a problem for the Hindus. Brajalila wasn't a problem. But in light of the British and the Western insights, then the sexually, you could say, uptight 
Victorian sensibilities, they had to, well, many of them thought they couldn't figure it out. They were influenced by that. They had to erase the Brajalila and say, oh, it's all interpolation. This is not really in our scriptures and so forth. So they got kind of washed ashore, so to speak, in the name of Reformation. What they were reforming, they lost hold of. So not only did Bhaktivinoda Thakur, did that not happen to him, but in his Reformation, he brought out the very essence of that Hinduism, Sanatana Dharma, the Brajlila itself, and was able to showcase it in such a way that it has gained the kind of popularity the world over that it has now. So he took the heart of the tradition, which would, in a sense, would be most difficult to understand. If you want to reform and you want to make a general type of presentation to people who are unfamiliar, most people are going to generally, in the name of doing that, stress the aspects that your tradition has in common with other traditions and these areas and so forth and get people involved and and so on without stressing the heart of it where the differences come. This isn't what Bhaktivinoda Thakur did. This is so much to his credit, a real religious reformer whose reformation of the tradition was based on deep, deep experience not an intellectual type of reformation of the tradition, on intellectual strength. Let's make a strategy how to represent Gaudiya Vaishnavism so that it will become popular and palatable and so forth. Not that he didn't use his intelligence. He did considerably, no doubt. But it was fueled by a heart that was fully absorbed in the heart of the tradition the essence of the tradition, beating with experience for the tradition. Therefore, as I say, Bhaktisiddhanta Sarasthi Thakur said, he who has life can preach. So who's really absorbed in these things, like the Vrindavan Goswamis, like Bhaktisiddhanta Thakur, brings some external kind of result and attention is drawn to the tradition. This was Bhaktisiddhanta Thakur's standard. He wasn't just, as I say, an intellectual reformer, part of the think tank of India. Yes, he was. He was with uh, people like popular people, Aravindo, Tagore. They were all contemporaries of his, and they were doing reforming. Ramohan Roy became a Christian, kind of, in the Brahmo Samaj, and all these. So, see the difference in Bhaktivinoda Thakur. So just like the six Goswamis, therefore seventh Goswami, we, with good reason, accept him as an eternal associate of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And we are connected to him through Bhaktisiddhanta Sasti Thakur, who received Harinam from him, Nisringamantra from him, and the full blessings from Bhaktivinoda Thakur to carry on his mission of worldwide propaganda of Gaudiya Vaishnavism and Reformation and the reformation of Gaudiya Vaishnavism that that involved. Bhaktivinoda was fond of the idea of Daiva Varnashram, which means Varnashram for devotees, Daiva Varnashram, not the ordinary Varnashram, but some concept of Daiva Varnashram whereby devotees who had Adhikar for the Paramhamsa Marg, who had Lobamayi Shraddha, Kanishtadikari, Lobamayi Shraddha. Means Shraddha for Agnuga Bhakti, for Braj Bhakti, for the teachings of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. But only a little bit, but enough to be Kanishtadikari. How upon entering the Paramhamsa Marg, they could get some footing there. By taking their conditioning into consideration. Rather than saying, oh, because they have Vadikar through Shraddha for Agnuga Bhakti, then they are transcendental to any other scriptural considerations, and they should simply come under the governance of Ragmog, which is no governance, no scriptural governance, ultimately. Although Rupa Goswami, as I mentioned earlier, said, oh, it should be supported by Vadi Bhakti and so forth. 
So emphasis on that, support from Bhakti Bhakti, and what he called Daivabharnashram, taking into consideration the types who came, the background that they came from, and their actual capacity to apply themselves in terms of their faith, their Lobamayi Shraddha. And then they would be classified accordingly as Brahmins in the Daivabharnashram, as Chatriyas in the Daivabharnashram, as Vaishyas in the Daivabharnashram, or Sudras in the Daivabharnashram. Sudras in the Daivabharnashram of Bhaktivinotakwa were those who got initiated, came forward, but couldn't follow. They still had faith. Lobamayi Shraddha, they had faith in Braj Bhakti, they wanted that. But they can't follow. They come to follow and then go back again. And they can't follow and they go back again. These were the Sudras in the Daivabharnashram. So a very different conception. The mot managers managing the preaching were the chetriyas, those who were still involved with some worldly connection for family life and making money successfully. They were the vaishas and these types who would support the, the preaching mission. And then the brahmins had a, their particular disposition for preaching, for deity worship and so forth. So through this conception, which was given shape by Bhaktisiddhanta Sarasati Thakur, which he was ordered to do by Bhaktivinoda Thakur. Bhaktivinoda Thakur sought to help those who have minimal adhikar for bhakti, rag bhakti, some footing on the path. In other words, instead of just coming, oh, you have interest in raganuga bhakti, you want that. Chant 64 rounds, go sit at Govardhan. Here's Srimad Bhagavatam. It's impractical. People were doing that, and they did have the shraddha. They were getting that kind of advice but no real practical siksha in further reaching consideration of their conditioning. And so there was a lot of things going on in the name of the Paramahamsa Mark because they couldn't chant and occupy their minds fully by such practice. So this was the compassionate and far-reaching vision of Bhaktivinoda that's enabled Gaudiya Vaishnavism to spread so widely, enabled us to have footing in that. This is his compassion. And he gave that task to Bhaktisiddhanta Sarasthi Thakur, who, more than anyone else, has broadcast through his disciples the glory of Bhaktivinoda Thakur. So if we want to understand Bhaktivinoda Thakur and his writings, we have to understand them through Bhaktisiddhanta Sarasthi Thakur and his followers. This will afford us the essential vision of Bhaktivinoda Thakur, not taking the part of Bhaktivinoda Thakur, like the very last part, latter part of his life, when he himself was so absorbed in his bhajan, just taking that and saying, here's the teaching of Bhaktivinoda Thakur, we start like this. No. Therefore, we have the right to claim that we are the members, in the general sense, of Bhaktivinoda Parivar. And in that general Parivar of Bhaktivinoda Thakur, so many devotees will be included of different sentiments. In the particular parivara of Bhakti Vinod from Ananga Manjari and Janavama, Nityananda Vangsa, so forth, then we find him as Kamal Manjari. That in terms of his inner bhajan, which he revealed very kindly in his writing, in Navadvip Babataranga he revealed, this and maybe some other places also, which is not common, but that was the uncommon example of Bhaktivinotaku, who was a revealer of the path, so to speak, from beginning to end. So his life was meant in this way, just like we know about the Manjari Swarup of the Gosamis and so forth. So these things were revealed. So generally it's not revealed. It's kept secret, but and even in our Tantakar, in one place, he said, you shouldn't even think about it when in the presence of other people who are unqualified. Even though we're told to be always thinking about it. He said like that. One's heart should not be revealed. Only among persons who will appreciate it and take advantage and so forth. But he revealed it in his writing because his life was to be an open book for all of us to learn from in modern times. So very much, as I say, fit this title of the seventh Gosami. So in a general sense, regardless of our sentiment, 
We are the followers of Bhaktivinod, whether we have the Manjari sentiment or not. We still call ourselves Bhaktivinod Paribar. And his Paribar is inclusive of all possibilities in Braj Bhakti. He shows this in his writings. In other words, he doesn't merely try to, for lack of a better word, pigeonhole, I think, everyone into Manjari Bab by force of intellectual understanding that this is the highest thing Mahaprabhu came to give. Therefore, by simply intellectualizing about it, try to intimidate everybody in that direction. Not that it's a bad thing, it's the most wonderful thing, but Bhaktivinoda Thakur taught in an open way. It's about following your heart. Know who you are, the difference between matter and spirit, and know that in the context of cultivating Krishna consciousness, Shravanam Kirtanam, and Shravanadi Sudha Chitte Gorei Udvai. It will awaken in the heart your natural sentiment. How Krishna wants to accept Seva from you. Then in all encouragement to follow that. This is how the Goswamis actually taught. And all the great Acharyas. So Bhaktivinoda Thakur, seventh Goswami, the eternal associate of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu in Nabadvipa, Radha Govinda in Vrindavan. And we are fortunate to be in his bodyguard, his family, his lineage. This is our uh, claim to the connection of the eternal associates of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. So I wanted to read and see maybe something to note from the reading that the ten uh, prayers of Sridhar Maharaj that were composed by him, his original Sanskrit composition about Bhaktivinoda Thakur, about the disappearance of Bhaktivinoda Thakur, Bhaktivinoda Viraha Dashakam, they're entitled, Feelings of Separation, Ten Prayers, describing the feelings of sentiments of separation from Bhaktivinoda Thakur, that so much pleased Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur, that when he heard that composition, he said that Bhaktivinoda Thakur is fully captured in the prayers of Sridhar Maharaj. So we are also connected to Sridhar Maharaj. This is another way in which we can feel secure of our connection with Bhaktivinoda Thakur. He was able to arrest, to capture in his ten prayers, in the mind and heart of Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur, the full presence, the sense of the contribution and the person of Bhaktivinoda Thakur. If Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur gives that type of confirmation, then it's a sure thing. No one understood Bhaktivinoda Thakur like Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur. So when Sridhar Maharaj surprised him with this, oh, it drew much attention to Srila Sridhar Maharaj. You can imagine Gaudiya Math. And this, amongst other songs of his, are regularly sung in different branches. Just as a side note, one of the wonderful things about Sridhar Maharaj was so harmonizing, such a great harmonizing capacity, and so detached, objective, while fully subjectively involved in Gaudiya Vaishnavism, with enough detachment and objectivity that he could see beyond the nose of his own moth and mission. And I tell you, that's a hard thing to do, we find. People are subjectively involved in Gaudiya Vaishnavism in a particular way that often involves them in a particular mission especially in the lineage of Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur, which is a mission-forming type of lineage, or has been, at any rate. It's very difficult for people to see beyond the nose of their own mission and appreciate Gaudiya Vaishnavism and other places and be a, such a person as to be appreciated even by other missions. That's a hard thing to do. But Shittamarsh exemplifies that standard. His prayers in glorification of Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur they are sung in every Godiamath, every branch of Godiamath, almost every branch. And in some places, written on the walls there, you know, how they write in the marble on the wall, those prayers of Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasati Thakur. So apparently, some felt 
that that person who was able to capture Bhakti Vinod Thakur in his ten prayers, as per the opinion of Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasthik Thakur, was also able to capture Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasthik Thakur in his prayers. So, I wanted to read these, at least I'll read the English, these prayers. O Bhakti Vinod Thakur, O Guru Dev, somehow along and trying, twenty-two years have passed since your disappearance. Time cursed with the painful and heavy burden that I am constantly feeling due to your separation. My life's substance is a prisoner to that agony. The conditioned souls in due course of accepting unlimited births through countless species fortunately come to gather the required pious merit to take a human birth on this earth, but unlike them, you are a personal manifestation of Lord Gauranga's divine potency. Your appearance, an evident display of his tender compassion. What is that for? Namo Bhakti Vinodaya, Satchirananda Namane, Gaur Shakti Sorupaya Rupanurupaya. Gaur Shakti Sorupaya, this is what he's saying here. A personal manifestation of Lord Gauranga's divine potency, which he's saying here corresponds with the compassion. Prabhupada once said, compassion and Krishna consciousness, they're synonymous. How abominable is my existence? From time immemorial I have been trapped by the warden of impiety. I have no expectation of being afforded a chance of bathing even in even one particle of the ecstatic dust of your holy feet. Each shining particle clinging to your lotus feet contains an enormous, joyful ocean providing the most ambrosial bath and promises at last the fulfillment of my life, the taste of selfless surrender. Oh, but wait, there is some hope. The extensive, all-encompassing magnitude of Simon Mahaprabhu's manifest pastimes of wide distribution, Audarjalila, have graced our entire universe. O Srila Bhaktivinoda, you are the personal proprietor and agent of that glorious and gentle grace. O Bhaktivinoda, O Divine Master, if all the attempts of the demigods beginning with Lord Brahma have met with disappointment in trying to narrate the totality of your wonderful spiritual qualities, then, Gurudev, how can we simple and ordinary people fall in this world glorify you properly. We are not concerned with the highly decorative rhetoric of the learned demigods. For us, it was the plain truth when Lord Mukunda said he was incapable of depicting the magnanimity of the coward maidens of Braj, as mentioned in the Rasalila pastimes. When the gopis were overwhelmed, that refers to a verse here, a famous verse of Srimad Bhagavatam. So this is very nice. He says, If all the attempts of the demigods beginning with Lord Brahma met with disappointment in trying to narrate the totality of your wonderful qualities, then how can ordinary people like us properly glorify you? If the demigods fall short in their capacity to understand Krishna and adequately glorify him. What is our position? Of course, he's talking about Bhaktivinoda Thakur. But he's talking about Bhaktivinoda Thakur in terms of his being a participant in the Lord's intimate leela as a Brajagopi. So if the demigods have difficulty, one sense he's saying, they have difficulty. What can they say about you, about your position, about the Brajagopis? They're bewildered by their the nature of their devotion. So he's saying, what can ordinary people like us then say about you? But then he says that, oh, the, whatever the demigods may say, all their decorative language and so forth, and their attempts and their efforts, is nothing because Mukunda, Mukunda means, is the name for Krishna, Mu means Mukti, Ku means bad, Da means Dadati, to give, so it means who gives something better than mukti. Mukunda, this is Krishna. From what he gives, 
who makes mukti look undesirable. He says, to glorify you appropriately, what can we say? The demigods can't say anything. And they can speak very nicely with beautiful poetry and so forth. We are just ordinary people of this world. What can we say? But what we'll do, we'll turn to what Krishna says about you. What the giver of more than liberation says. We'll turn to his words if we want to understand something about you. And what does he say? This is Krishna's speech to the gopis in Rasalila after he returns, after having disappeared, and says he cannot repay them. Even in a lifetime of Brahma, it would be not possible for me to repay you for the kind of love that you've exhibited. So therefore, you have to be satisfied with what you have, that it's more than what I can give. Krishna makes a promise in Bhagavad Gita that as people approach me, I will reciprocate accordingly. This verse says, oh, I have to break my word. I cannot reciprocate. I have to put myself completely in your hands. Your love is greater than me. I've boasted in Bhagavad Gita that however anybody approaches me, I will reciprocate accordingly. But the manner in which you've approached me has exhausted my capacity to reciprocate. I'm purchased by you entirely. Shidamar is saying, this is what Krishna is saying about Bhaktivinoda Thakur. What can we say about him? O Bhaktivinoda, you appeared at the hour of our greatest need. At that time, everyone practiced body worship and flesh religion, which any honest man will admit is ignorance. Yogis were cheating the public with cheap miracles, exploiting them for money and pleasure. The philosophers, bewildered and trying to capture the infinite, found that their knowledge had led them to the void of nihilism. The mutterers of mantras were working to become well-known japa chanters. Ascetics practiced murderous torture for spiritual suicide. The proud gave in charity only to secure their fame, and all these abominable acts were performed in the name of Anurag Bhajan, the highest devotion to Godhead. At that dark hour, when all good intelligence had been spoiled by misconception, you were sent by the will of providence. Some people make a claim nowadays, some people who left the association of Bhakti Siddhanta Sarsati Thakur in, in the name of Anurag Bhajan and became academics, claim on the basis of their academic research that during the time of Bhakti Vinod Thakur, actually Gaudiya Vaishnavism was flourishing. There was no need for any revival or anything of the sort, attributing the revival to Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur, who they don't appreciate. But actually, the revival was inspired by Bhakti Vinod Thakur. And while Gaudiya Vaishnava is certainly going on, the fact of the matter is that if a Gaudiya Vaishnava came to the door to beg, in a pious Hindu family, came to beg, like roti, chapati, something like that, or rice, and they would ask their servant, oh, who has come to the door? Oh, it's a Gaudiya Vaishnava. Oh, and give him some roti, send him away. But if it was a beggar from its mother, they might want to listen to him. They had no interest. They had nothing. These people had nothing to say. Taken to the things that are mentioned in this verse in the name of Anurag Bhajan. So much misrepresentation. When he appears within the dark evening sky, the full moon gives life to all the medicinal herbs within the universe by his cooling rays. He also helps the stars to twinkle and their nectarine pleasures increase as they illuminate the world. O Bhaktivinoda Thakur, you have appeared like the moon to enliven the meaning of the scriptures. Like the moon, said to draw the juice from the vegetables and sap from the trees and so forth. You have appeared like the moon to enliven the meaning of the scriptures which act like medicine to soothe the diseased souls of the world. Your advent gives pleasure to the saints who, like stars helped by the moon, can illuminate others simply by reflecting your light. It's very nice, huh? Like the moon, you give life to the scriptures and gives joy to other saintly persons who, as a result of the kind of light that he's giving, they can also see the way to give light to others. 
Desiring to benefit the people in general, you preached the Bhagwat principles of devotion. Like the great spiritual geniuses Ramanuja, Madhva, Nimbark, and Vishnu Swami, you composed different scriptures which reveal the divine philosophical vision of the previous acharyas and great devotees. But, O Bhaktivinotakur, O Gurudev, more than that, you are a vast ocean of divine love, and your magnanimity knows no bounds. I don't think that anyone, since the time of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and the six Goswamis, has written more about Gaudiya Vaishnavism, manifested more grantas than Bhaktivinotakur. I think he wrote a hundred works. We have the writings of Vishnu Chakravartitakur, commentaries on Bhagavatam, maybe Chaitanya Charitamrita, his Krishna Bhavanamrita, and many poems and so forth. He was quite prolific, but at least paralleling him, but I think more than that, quite a bit more, I think, Bhaktivinotakur has written. So, like an Acharya, he's saying, and as much as the mark of an Acharya in one sense is said to be that he writes a commentary on the Vedanta, establishes the doctrine via a body of literature, like Mimbarka, Ramanuja, Vishnu Swami, and so forth. In fact, done. The effulgent, non-differentiated aspect of divinity known as Brahman is composed of infinite particles of individual consciousness and has been considered by the Upanishads and by Vedic scholars to be the halo of the Absolute. The localized plenary portion of Godhead known as Paramatma is sought after by the great yogis practicing extreme penance. Narayan himself, the predominating lord of the Vaikuntha planets, whose lotus feet are worshipped and served by his unexcelled bee-like devotees, is only a partial manifestation of the original personality of Godhead. The original or full-fledged aspect of divinity is Krishna. O Bhaktivinoda, you have not come to distribute Brahman, Paramatma, or even Narayan Bhakti, but Swayam Bhagavan Krishna, the original conception of the Absolute, who is all ecstasy. It is you, O Gurudev, who can gently place me in his hands, and you have come to give him to the public. Within the highest realm of the inconceivable spiritual world, there is a most charming place which is far superior to all others. That place is known as Goloka Vrindavan. It is there that the original personality of God at Sri Krishna is found. There, Krishna's transcendental pleasure is increased by the personal service rendered to him by his devotees who are absorbed in mellows of friendship and parenthood. There, surrounded by her most intimate confidential maidservants, Srimati Radharani, with all of her paraphernalia, is offering Sri Krishna, the highest form of affectionate service, which is completely inconceivable on the mundane plane. O Bhaktivinotakur, if you so desire, it is within your power to easily grant this insignificant soul some service within that higher realm. Please bestow that mercy upon me. We should pray like that. What was sanctioned by Chaitanya Mahaprabhu? By his descent, what was intimately known only to Sri Swarup Damodar Goswami. Sanatan Goswami, the elder brother of Rupa Goswami, was attentive to that divine truth. And Rupa Goswami himself served that very thing with his own hands to the devotees. Raghunathas Goswami tasted its sweetness and also added something of his own flavor to it. He was assisted in doing so by Raghunath Bhatt Goswami and Gopal Bhatt Goswami. What was distributed by Rupa and tasted by Raghunath was protected by Jiva Goswami, who lent support to its divinity with scriptural evidence. The taste of that divine truth is aspired after by Shukadeva Goswami, Lord Shiva and Lord Brahma, who regard it with the highest respect from a distance. What is that inconceivable ambrosia, the sublime sweet nectar of the mellows relished in the service of Srimati Radharani's holy lotus feet? O Bhaktivinotaka, within this world, you fully possess the ability to give us that extraordinary nectar. He's nicely explaining the different contributions of the six Goswamis. What was intimately known by Sarup Damodar Goswami, attended to very carefully by Sanatan Goswami. Why? Because in his writings, we find some emphasis on Vaidhi Bhakti, to attend to that, to help to give support to that. 
was just given out by the hands of Rupa Goswami, the path of bhakti, and Raghunath Das, Sambandha, Sanatana Goswami. Sambandha Gyan, you see, you see what I mean by this is that the cultivation of Sambandha Gyan is part of Vaidhi Bhakti. But if we cultivate the Sambandha Gyan in pursuit of Raghunath Bhakti, that will be helpful to us. That means that Raghunath Bhakti is really a function of the heart, you see, it's not a function of the intelligence. So as I've said before, if we are engaged in Raghunath Bhakti based on the scriptural statements that speak about its efficacy, its glory, and so forth, rather than out of heart, then to that extent, our orientation to Raghunath Bhakti is tinged with Vaidhi Bhakti, which is motivated by scriptural statements that say, well, this is the best thing, or if you do this, you'll get this, or our participation is not fully from the heart, but it's based on scriptural injunctions, albeit relative to Raghunuga Bhakti. This is Ajata Ruchi, Raghunuga Bhakti, which Bhakti Vinotaka would readily describe as Bhakti Bhakti. So, Sanatana Goswami gave someone again. Do we find it in Brihat Bhagavatamrita? Finding out the whole, how everything works, where it all fits, what's what. It's a foundational Ras Shastra book because the foundation is that Sambandagan. And Sambandagan culminates in self realization, Surup Siddhi, and Bhava Bhakti. There's a cultivation that goes on in Bhava Bhakti based on that realization of my nature, my relationship with Krishna. And that culminates in Prem Bhakti and its further developments. So Sanatana Goswami, given that, and Hari Bhakti Vilas is there too. So many etiquette, rules, and so forth. It was all for supporting us. So he was attentive to that. So to attend to that, to support it. And Rupa Goswami giving it out in the Bhakti Samrita Sindhu, Ujvalinalamani, he's teaching the whole thing. And Raghunath Das Goswami tasting, in Bilap Kushmanjali, in these kind of books, he's tasting it. Prayojan, Tattva Acharya. And he's tasting that Rupa Goswami's position is the best. And he's writing about that this way. This subject, Bhaktivinotakur is capable of giving. That Sugadeva is paying obeisance from, from a distance. Shiva, Brahma, and so forth. We sing in the evening in Bhaktivinoda's Arctic song. What does he say? Shiva, Sukha, Narada. We're stepping over the heads of Shiva, Sukha, Narada to have this darshan of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu on the banks of the Janavi. By the grace of Bhaktivinoda But where am I? Srinamarsh concludes. I am in a most fallen condition, my intelligence bound with fault. Where are you, O deliverer of the universal master? By your causeless mercy alone, my unlimited offenses can be pardoned. O ocean of compassion, Gurudev, I humbly beg for one favor before your lotus feet. Kindly count me as one of the servitors of Shishi Radha Krishna, that divine couple who are an ocean of matchless wealth. So this is his wonderful description of Bhaktivinoda Thakur, poetic description, so much appreciated by Bhaktivinoda Thakur. We spoke for some time, but I just want to emphasize one other thing before we stop, and that is that in many, many ways, Bhaktivinoda Thakur is a very, very kind-hearted, generous person. And as the very source of our paribar, we should conceive like that, he will be very, very kind to us if we make a sincere, heartfelt prayer to him. Vaishnavas are kind, generous by nature, but he has a kind nature of being kind. (laughs) Something like that, I want to say. Very compassionate very broad-minded and accommodating, liberal heart. People have different dispositions. It's possible they can even have a kind of a narrower-minded disposition, but still be real Vaishnavas and compassionate of heart and so forth. But Bhaktivinoda Thakur had a very broad mind and very big heart, a very compassionate heart. So anyway, we should try to take advantage of him always. Always pray for the mercy of Bhaktivinoda. Thakur is kind of the mool root of our 
Parivar, direct connection to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's teachings and service of Radha Govinda in Vrindavan. Very forgiving, very compassionate and kind-hearted. We need that. We've got such a great person at the fountain, the fountainhead of our particular lineage within Gaudiya Vaishnavism. So always remember that. Pray to Bhaktivinoda Thakur for his compassion as Sridharmarsh has done in his prayers. Sri Thakur Bhaktivinoda Ki Jai. Bhaktivinoda Paribar Ki Jai. Bhaktivinoda Thirubhava Mahotsapatiti Ki Jai. Sri Sri Gorgadadhar Ki Jai. Sri Gadadhar Pandit Thirubhava Mahotsapatiti Ki Jai. Gaur Premanandi.